Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. It's your girl, Odalis Jackson, and y'all are listening to Hella Latino, a place where we talk about all things first generation, where we celebrate Latinidad, and where we highlight community excellence. Today, I'm talking to Maria Medrano, co-founder and CEO of Inspirame, a mission-driven organization dedicated to ending generational poverty through educational attainment. As a first-generation Mexican-American and the first in her family to earn a high school or college degree, Maria has held strategic leadership roles spanning two decades at Google, Visa, Cisco, to name a few, and has used her first-gen superpowers to make big career moves. Let's hear from Maria herself. Dale. I have to start by saying I'm drinking this drink, alcohol-free cocktail called Jazz, and it's created by two women in the cocktail industry, and one of which is Latina, and she decided to become sober and created this cocktail-free or alcohol-free cocktails. This one is a Paloma. I'm about to try it for the first time. <laughs> what are you drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking a Ronchata because that's all I had left in my fridge, so salud. Oh my God, this tastes so good. Ooh, mm. a Paloma. I'm not a really big fan of Palomas, but that tastes like lemon juice. It's so so yummy. I um, love palomas. I'll have to try that out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're like, I actually love it. And ronchata <laughs> is actually one of my favorite drinks during the holidays. So yeah. <laughs> well, Maria, I'm so excited to share this space with you. Finally, I have so many questions, but I just want to say thank you for being on here with the red lipstick, with the long, nice earrings and showing off your Latinidad. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Like you said, it's it's been a minute. I've been looking forward to this day. So I'm looking forward to the, the chismes y las conversaciones and uh, see where talks take us. Yes. Let's start with the chisme of identity, cultural heritage, identity, all of the things. Maria, how do you identify and why? I identify as Mexican-American first-gen Chicana. And for all those reasons, the first in my family to be born in the U.S., mis papas, my dad bien mexicano, my mom bien chicana. Um, so I mm. really have that blend from the very beginning. And then growing up in the San Francisco Mission District, being surrounded by a cultura, where that's where the chicanismo comes from as well. So, and don't like to, I don't like to keep it a secret that I'm a first gen. I think there's so much power behind us first geners that uh, it's uh, what's excites me most of my title. I want to ask you a little bit more about identity. Like, was it always clear? Like, I am Chicana, I am Mexicana, I am first generation. Or when did these identities kind of come or become clear to you? You know, I think back often to, to that. And I really do believe that I knew I was bicultural, bilingual from my early memories. Like, I never felt that I was either más Mexicana or más Americana. I always felt like, no, like I'm bilingual. And it wasn't until mm -hmm. I would go into you know, traveling to Mexico, they'd say things like, 
ah, pues es que diciendo de allá, hablas muy bien el español. And he's like, what do you mean? Soy mexicana. And so then there was that identity around la India María that would always be like, ah. ni de aquí, ni, ni allá. And I think because I saw that, I could connect to that, that I always felt like I was having to manage both identities, which I think gave me great practice for being able to also enter the corporate world when I did, because that's another identity, as you know. Oh my goodness. Yes. And what about first generation? Like, when did you know, like, what does first gen mean to you? And when did you know, like, this is part of who I am? And I'm sure we're going to get to that and how it connects to corporate because there's so many ways. <laughs> yeah. For me, you know, my mom had me when she was 16 years old. It's this. So when we talk about those first gen experiences, my mom knew because she was born here in, in LA, but she became an orphan at the age of three. And so she had to divide her time between Mexico and the United States. And so she didn't have the same support system that when she had me, she would often tell me that I need to go to college. And she would be the first to say, I don't know what that is. And I don't know how we're going to get there, but you're going to go. And so mm -hmm. it was always with that determination. And so first gen for me was knowing that her big dream for me was just to graduate high school with no babies, like just graduate high yeah. school with no babies. And if you happen to get a job and save for a new car, like that was bonus points because we didn't have a car until I was maybe 13, 14 years old. And so I think mm -hmm. that realization and those real conversations, it's what's enabled me to realize that I'm first gen in many aspects. I mean, from schooling to career, to experiences, to travel, to I mean, you fill in the blank. There's been many first-gen experiences. Oof. And let's talk about, before we get into that first-gen experiences that you've had, like, I want to, I like going deeper into, like, the immigration story and where that starts. Because I think, I mean, you just mm -hmm. told me your, tu papá de México y tu mamá chicana. Talk to me about mm -hmm. their story and when your mom got pregnant with you. Yeah, so my my dad was born in Nochislan, Las Animas Zacatecas, and so he's one of 13. So a much big family. Is the my grandfather born in Arizona, so he worked here in the, on this lado and then he would go home and, you know, see my grandmother and so the joke was always every time he came home, my grandmother had another baby, right? <laughs> 13 ah. kids. <laughs> and so with that, because my grandfather was era de este lado, like they would say, when the boys started turning of age, you know, 15, 16, he'd kind of gather a few of them together and then bring them over to get them, you know, their papeles and so they can start working to help support the family. And so that was my dad's journey. When he was about 16, he left home with my couple of uncles and my grandfather to end up in, in LA and then the San Fernando Valley, you know, whether he over to San Francisco where his older sister lived and that she was a home that people would arrive to. My mom, on the other hand, she was born in Rancho Camonga, Los Angeles, um, and she's a twin. And so she was born with her other siblings, four siblings. It's there, but my grandmother passed away at the age of, my mom was three. She was 33. It's there, and when that happened, the, the kids got separated. You know, familias, well-intended, but a lot of kids meant more expenses. And so, uno se llevaron unos, otros se llevaron otros. And then one of my grandmother's primas hermanas took my mom and her twin and she lived in San Francisco. So from the funeral, she took the twins and took them back to San Francisco. And so that's where my mom grew up, the family. And my dad, it's so funny when we talk about this, because my dad, when he went to San Francisco, uno de los primos introduced him to the union, because that was his way of being able to expose him to go get a job outside of, the, you know, doing farm working, because that's what they were used right. to. And so going to the union, 
he met other Mexicanos that had been here for about a year or two. Que ya sabía la onda. You know, they knew how things como yeah. las cosas. Uh -huh. este, and he invited my brother to go with him to go meet up with his girlfriend. Tenía un hermano. And that hermano was my mom. So that's how my mom and my dad met. My mom was 16. I my dad that. was about 18. <laughs> yes. And, and the rest is history. I was the firstborn, the only girl. And I have three brothers. Wow, Maria, the fact that you know this story is so beautiful because often yeah. this question is always like some people either know the history and the story and some people are like, you know, I'm still figuring it out or some people are like, I have puzzle pieces. I don't know the whole story. When did yeah. this when was this story clear? Like when did you find all of this out? I think because my mom and I were so close in age, she was my best we were best friends. Oh. We were best friends. So we it was open yeah. always an open line of communication. The same thing with my dad. Like my dad is a storyteller. Él es de muchos dichos. He loves to read. He loves to, you know, interact. Este, and I think because my dad knew what it was to grow up in a home where he, my grandfather was absent, right? Not because he wanted to be, but just the necessity of having to work here and then go back every year. And so my dad understood the important role that a dad plays in just being able to have conversations. Mm -hmm. And so at least that's what I've experienced in my upbringing. And I think just with storytelling. I have to tell you, I lost my mom very unexpectedly. It'll be two years in November. It was the biggest shock of my life. And I oh, think back, thank you. I think back and I think the biggest gift that I really have is what you just called out the stories. Like I know so much mm -hmm. of my mom and her struggles and, and it's helped me understand why I am the way I am today and how I've been able to accomplish what I've accomplished because of her support and just really knowing and acknowledging what was happening around us. Yeah. That was really important. Oh, well, your mom sounds like she was an amazing woman. And I always applaud one young mothers and also Latina moms because I mean, it's just so close to community, but I applaud them because my mom was a young mom as well. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think there's just so much power in storytelling. And one mm -hmm. thing about my mom is she is a storyteller. She will tell you the smallest of details, but you learn to love it, right? Like, okay, the car was blue and then yes. you went, okay, got it. That's how you met my dad. <laughs> but it's just like the power of these stories that you have, like, I'm sure you pass down those stories to your kids and your future generations. Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost like an accumulation of stories and a museum of stories, if you will. Like, this is your history. These are the people who were part of it. Oh my gosh, it's it's so true. And and if there's one thing that we can even start connecting this to corporate America, that's the differentiator that we play from a Latinidad perspective. Like I've learned mm -hmm. so many of my own stories, have taught other people lessons. Like it, sometimes it's even mind blowing of just the conversations, and they're like, "What do you mean? What, 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 tell me more." And I'm thinking, "Have you ever heard yeah. this before?" He, nothing. So there is something to be said wow. about the power of those stories. Oh yeah. Well, let's kind of fast forward a little bit to growing up and you having these beautiful stories told to you and your dad and your mother and just almost being like your mom's BFF to like growing up and now going into your first gen experiences. Did it start in college? Did it start before that? Did it start in corporate America? When did the this first gen identity start to come through for you? It, it started in college, definitely freshman, freshman semester of my college year. I remember having the biggest and I'll correlate first gen experience to the culture shock. Like it was yeah. that immediate that the minute I stepped foot on that campus, I remember, I remember having these thoughts and saying these to a few friends that I had there on campus of like, the white people at home are like the white people here. Like the <sighs> white people at home 
you know, we grew up together. We were in the barrios together. We would ride the buses together. We would share meals together. We were friends. We were in the class together. Like they, they craved our stories. They craved our experiences. And I love to share it. Este, and so when I got to college, I went with the same enthusiasm and I was met with like, oh, what are you like, what are you doing? Like stay mm. over there. And it was tough. It was tough. I remember one of the uh, initial experiences that I had, I was sitting in a, like a world ethics class of some sort. And I was in the room and I was the only Latina in the classroom. There was probably 45 of us in there. He, um, me acuerdo que the professor, she was an, a black woman and she was beautiful. She had her braids on and she, you know, she had like a suit on and I was just in awe because she was, I think the only professional color I had seen like in a college setting. And yeah. the topic went about social services and, you know, the responsibility that society has in providing and, and having a conversation of what does that mean in regards to the evolution of our society? And, and I remember people were just raising their hands about, wow, we have to get rid of all these illegal immigrants. And, you know, they're carrying down and burdening all of our welfare services and healthcare and they're this wow. and that. And I remember feeling so angry because, you know, I, my family had been recipients of, you know, food stamps and we've had to get some support at times. And, you know, my dad is part of a union and I remember doing the strikes and the boycotts and all mm. that comes with that. And I remember just raising my hand and with courage just saying, you're misinformed. You actually should pick up a book and read one to actually get the statistics and understand that, mm. you know, our immigrant Latinos actually pay in so much money and they don't get to reek a cent and mm -hmm. I tenía un coraje that I was just like, you could have probably seen in my face. And I was just so upset and class was over. And I remember everybody got up and walked out. And I, I was the last one to grab my books as I was just trying to collect myself from the interaction. And the teacher stopped me and said, Maria. And I said, yeah, she goes, great job today. And I said, mm -hmm. excuse me. And she said, great job for using your voice and standing up for what you believe in. He goes, I need you to come back the next day and the following day and not let your voice be silenced by those people. And that was the first moment of just like, okay, I get it. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the beginning of just turning on that switch and yeah, many experiences of that kind to come. Oh my goodness, Maria, that comment, that story kind of made me emotional because I'm thinking about how many people in that situation do feel silenced, right? Like mm -hmm. you being the only in that room, in that space, like it takes so much courage and bravery. And I'm just, I'm in awe of you for being able to oh. articulate and say it aunque tienes coraje, like being able yeah. to say it in a way that's like, I'm passionate about this, but I'm also going to like, I'm going to read you, right? Like yes, read you and sit yes. you down. <laughs> like that is such a superpower. And I love that you used it. And I also love that the professor being able to see that and validate you and see mm -hmm. you and being able to in those moments, because it's probably such a big, like, those are small words, right? But it's such a yeah. big, like, meaning behind it of like, Maria probably went on yeah. to be the one and only in different spaces and being able to voice and being able to stand up and like almost she gave you like almost like a I don't know like a validation to use that superpower yes. in, in every space right yes I know absolutely and it's one of those moments that I think about it and I don't and I feel guilty because I don't remember her name I don't really remember the class I just remember that moment 
And that moment mm-hmm. I carry with me often, especially in the work that I do, is I remember how lonely it feels. And like you said, how much courage it takes. And then to just say, you know what? It can't feel any worse than I'm feeling right now that you just raise up your hand to say something to your point, but to have someone validate, that mm-hmm. is a gift. And and I spend a lot of my time where I see those things. I, I do that for people. And my kids will say, mom, please stop. You're being cringy. Or mom, please stop. And I'll be like, <laughs> oh. it's like you guys don't know. Like it can just be that one little... That little, you know, spark of inspiration because you never know. Yeah. And yeah. So it's, it's, it's that's a really me. vulnerable thing to do. Like, it's so vulnerable yes. to say like, well, I'm going to say how I feel because you're in a room in the space that, you know, people are not on your side and rooting for you. Right. Like it's a really vulnerable exactly. space to be in. Like, I'm just shout out to Maria. And how did you carry that? <laughs> into corporate America, like talk about corporate America, first of all, like, what was that process? And yeah, I'm just, I'm like dying to hear what, how the version plays out in corporate. So corporate America was very interesting. So I was going to school full-time and working full-time. I graduated from San Jose State, my business degree in, in marketing. <laughs> yes, it's JSU. Is the, and like I said, I was working the entire time. So I was a type of student that was working from eight to five, and then classes were from six to 10. And quite honestly, the only reason that I ended up in a business background is because those were the classes that were offered in the evening hours. And so mm. that was that is how I ended up getting a business degree. Transferring to San Jose State, because I did start at Sonoma State University, that really forced the, the switch to a business perspective. And just think mm. of the time, it was January of 2000. It was, you know, the, the market was still a little hot, but it wasn't, it was just about to pop, right? And I remember I couldn't get a job for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how to get a job. And so I went to a temp agency and just signed up my name and they would send me off to random assignments. And one of those assignments was for a tech company called Diamond Inc. I don't know people don't know what it is, but they <laughs> built the first MP3 player before Apple had an iPod, but it was the same thing. It was a small little MP3 player that you would put on your wrist. So as people worked out, they could work out with a real player. And (laughs) that was the beginning. I joined there as a receptionist and I asked lots of questions that I was then offered a, like an order entry desk, which was basically the beginning days of auctioning before eBay was even a thing. Companies would do their own auctions online. Um, That was the beginning into corporate America. I really went into the, like they say, walked into the lion's den with joining WebEx. They were an online video conferencing company and three months into being hired by WebEx, Cisco acquired them. And so Mm -hmm. that's why I entered Cisco and I was there for 15 years. And that was the beginning of corporate America for sure. Wow. Talk to me about those early experiences. Like what was the first moment where you were, I think we all in corporate America have that moment where we're like, oh, this is different. Like I'm different than a lot of people here. Like you just have that one moment. Did you have that? Like talk to me about that one moment. You're like, oh, Maria. I'm, I may stand out like a sore thumb here. <laughs> every day, every day. Um, I'm just thinking of just the in- initial interactions of a badge, you know, and swiping a badge to get into a door. And it's like, what do you mean? And, and explaining that a badge is my key into doors. And try explaining that at a family party, right? Like, oh, don't touch my badge. What does this do? I'm like, this opens doors. And they can't even imagine. They're like, what do you mean? So I would be the one that would be walking around, no joke, in the office recording Different yeah. things like this is the cafeteria, this is the door, this is the bathroom, because many folks would not 
They didn't understand. I mean, even down oh to the darn God. bathrooms inside of corporate America, nice, you know, touchless faucets and, you know, mm-hmm. hairsprays and perfumes and, you know, all the things they have there that folks don't believe you. So that oh was the God. initial piece of it. But I have to tell you that it was the first couple of years, even getting noticed, even getting an opportunity to be talked about in talent reviews, it was so difficult. And I remember I was cerca. I would constantly ask during reviews, like, when are you going to talk about me? Like, this is what I've been doing. I'm so ready for this next role. Like I was bored out of my mind and I was okay doing the role because at least I was finishing up my MBA program. So I was able to do full-time MBA and my job. But I thought once I finish that MBA program, if I stay at this exact role, there is no way. And I think that's what happens with a lot of our Latinas, our younger Latinas, right? It's they're trying to advocate for those roles. People aren't seeing them. So then they get burnt out or exhausted and they leave. And then once you leave, it's really hard to come back, especially the higher the roles in the organization. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was just always asking for, what do I got to do for the next thing? I was actually in a fireside chat yesterday with um, a Hispanic heritage event. And they asked that similar question. And I said, one of the biggest things that was probably the hardest thing in, in corporate America was being seen that I was always trying to get after the next big thing. Because I had a manager that actually told me, just enjoy where you're at, Maria. Just enjoy it. Why are we trying to do the next thing? Just enjoy this moment. And I would tell him, like, I got a mm-hmm. sense of urgency. Like, I just can't be hanging out all this time when I know I'm ready. Now, if I weren't ready, I wouldn't be knocking at the door because I like to put my best foot forward. But I didn't think there was anything wrong with just showing my interest around what I wanted to do next. And, you know, as a Latina, we love our comadres, right? We love, like, to be friends with our peers and our teams. Like, it's never, for me at least, it's never about ego. It's about how do we all do things together? How do we come together, prop each other up? Oof, man, and that is that's not, not the norm in corporate America. <laughs> I was hearing you and I was like, I already know. (laughs) It's not corporate, but I have to tell you when you're consistent that way after a long time, Mm. that people can't really negate that at the end of the day, you know, there is power in just being collaborative, right? I mean, it's what's worked for for Mm. Los los Americanos this whole entire time. That's why they get deals done on the golf courses and where they go. I mean, it's what they do. It's the network they call. Why can't we have our network? And it's just, it's, and that's what I like to talk about as well. It's like, let's think about all of our transferable skills, the things we do in our comunidad that have worked for us. I tell folks all the time, we can scale like no one's business. We can make $5 go a long way and it will look good too. And Mm -hmm. those are the things that, again, when I think about the corporate America pieces, how do we bring those in? Because it was hard and it's not something that continues to be something easy, but if you can go in and you're full with your full authentic self, then others start to be a little bit curious about what is it that you're doing? Yeah. And how do you, because I think this is an interesting topic around how do you show up in your Latinidad? Like Maria, did you show up like red lipstick, hoops, hoop earrings and gold earrings, like speaking Spanish? Like how did you, how do you like own who you are and your Latinidad and your culture being in a space where it's just different than what you're used to. It's not as collaborative. I think things are changing now, but at the time I'm sure mm-hmm. like it's, it wasn't as collaborative and like, mm-hmm. it was just everything against like what you've known to be true. So how did you bring your Maria Medrano Latinidad into the space? 
You know, I'm going to, I'm going to sound a little cliche on this piece, but I do believe there's a little secret to it in, you know, who you decide to spend your life with, right? Mm -hmm. I think it matters, like who you decide to share who, you know, who you want to become and what you want to bring into this world. And I think that's helped me in staying as, as proximate and as humble to the, my community. It's no joke and it's no secret that I have three younger brothers that are full-blown Chicanos, hella Latino, like they are <laughs> very much that way. Este, and even then I taught them in that because they cannot negate the fact that I can have these conversations and be very authentic at work. And I don't flinch any longer. And that's not, it's not been that way the entire time. I can tell you there's been a lot of heartache. There's been a lot of doubt. There's been a lot of what if I'm not good enough, but it all comes with living it, experiencing it, talking about it and knowing and realizing that you're not the only one. And if you can do that and give yourself grace, that's where these stories, that's how we help one another by coming together and just having real honest conversations. Mm. How did it start for you? Did you, were you hiding parts of yourself and then you like started to own it? Like you said, you don't flinch anymore. Was there a moment where you did? Oh, yes. Many times. And I think, <laughs> uh, you know, I would bring little pieces of myself, but I also would share a lot about myself. And I find with people that I worked with in the past, those that shared more about who they really were, um, allowed for people to get to know them a little bit more. And I think that the more I did that with time, people actually cared enough to want me to share more. And so were there times, did I always wear lip lipstick? No, I used to love like my matte lipstick or, you know, a pan color or some other, you know, shades and whatnot. But now it's like, oh, my red, it's like, oh, it's in purpose. Like it's that, that mm. stage in life where right now it, it just really makes a statement. Um, the same thing with the earrings. I can tell you, I love my hoop earrings and I would just change things. Like sometimes it would be hoops or, you know, something that would sway, but it would always kind of dangle type of earrings. and then. One time I wore my earrings and my dad brought me from Mexico. And this was about 10 years ago. And I had to do a keynote or some sort. I was doing a presentation and it was in a room of about 500 people. And as I got off the stage, I had a young lady that came up to me and said, I knew you were Mexicana by your earrings. You can only mm. get those earrings in Jerez, Zacatecas. And I said, you're so right. She goes, I've never been in a room where I've seen someone that would be wearing jewelry that I would wear when I'm home. She goes, thank you for doing that. And from that wow. moment, it can, it's like, once you're in, once you put yourself out on that limb, like for me, yeah. the work is so much bigger than us at this point. Like it's no longer, what does it mean for me? It's about the next generation. It's about our community. It's about the perception of how they say who we are. Um, that yeah. really continually drive me forward because otherwise, if you get stuck on the negativity piece, it's their own fear of, of their own issues that I really I'm not responsible for fixing. Oh, I believe that now. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> it is not your responsibility to fix. And I love that. Mm. I think there's so much power in representation, right? So much power in seeing someone that just almost gives you a little glimpse of home, especially in a space where you don't see a lot of that. Like I remember being in corporate for the first time. My first corporate experience was Xerox when I was mm. like right out of college, like, or maybe I was graduating college, but. Around that time, I was very young, San Jose State as well. So shout out. But I also <laughs> felt like San Jose State, like you got a mix of everything. So it didn't feel like, it didn't feel too different. And then I went to no. 
corporate and I feel like I did not know how to act, like not just the cafeteria and the security and the badges, but I didn't know how to act in certain spaces because I felt like I had an accent. I felt like sometimes I said things with a little bit, a little too hood or like, you know, I'm like, oh, I need to tone it down, you know? (laughs) And I feel like it was the beginning of me learning to code switch and learning to like be in a space where you're like, okay, I may change the way I speak a little bit. I may have a little more stand up a little straighter and like, you know, act a little more dominant. And now I've learned to just like, be me and know that being me doesn't mean it's not welcomed in the space. Sometimes Mm -hmm. me is standing up straight. Sometimes me is like leaning back and having a conversation with la comadre, right? Like sometimes me changes. And I, one thing that I heard on this podcast is like authenticity just means to be, it doesn't mean anything more than just you being. Did you have that experience that you were like, let me code switch a little bit. Every day. And like I said, it didn't help that, you know, at the same time, I'm Gemini, but, you know, it's like the yin and the yang. And so there was code switching every single day. And it's so funny because sometimes my husband would say, okay, that switch, you burnt the switch. Like you're just, my brothers will tell me, you're like the best chameleon. You just change your shade depending on where you're at. And I'm like, okay, I'll take that as a compliment or whatnot. But no, it's absolutely needed. I mean, I would get folks in corporate that would tell me, Maria, you're always so prepared. You're always so ready. Why don't you just kind of show up from time to time and just, you know, just kind of wing it. And I remember looking at him and said, because if I did that from time to time, I wouldn't be sitting in this organization at this level because as a Latina, you get judged. If I'm just winging things, then I'm not showing respect to the work. And then there's all these other judgments that get cast on you. And I had to explain to him that you don't experience this because you don't live, you know, in our shoes, but This is what it requires to even have a chance to be sitting at this table. And then when I'm sitting here, I show up as my authentic self. I, first of all, Maria, I feel like this is such a powerful conversation around how do you, how do you get to that point? Because I think oftentimes, again, we talk so much about authenticity, but what does authenticity really look like? And I love that you're like, (laughs) Gemini makes me laugh because I'm like, okay, (laughs) she is like able to be a chameleon. But I also, what I hear you saying is like, you are yourself, even in those moments where you are super prepared, like it doesn't mean that it's one or the other. It's all part of who you are. And Mm -hmm. I think it's like, did you ever get moments of people maybe judging you when you were in a corporate space? Like, I, I hate this word of like, you're such a sellout or this or that. (sighs) Like how sometimes I feel like you feel it more from your community than you do in those corporate spaces. Hands down. I remember <laughs> I would, I told, you know, when I would become, I'd get friends along the way on the corporate setting and there'd be a far, a couple of them that would be the ones you could really tell them exactly how you felt or what was going on. And yeah. they would say, Maria, what's your biggest fear? And, you know, and I, and I would say, I hate that word too, but I would say, fuck, I don't want to be known as a sellout. Like I would, that would be the most painful criticism that would, yeah. and, and again, and that would come mm. from only the people we love the most because they're the ones that use that language. Right. But <laughs> Hearing that would be like so painful. And I remember one of the persons that I had this conversation with, they literally took like a double look and said, that wouldn't even be a word that would come close to describing Mm. who you are. And I said, okay, thank you. And the next thing is I want to make sure this is genuine because again, I will not ever 
And this is something I tell many folks, like I will never be the executive that gets hired to be working out of an ivory tower and not being proximate to the entire employee population because I grew up in that cycle. I was telling someone yesterday that for the longest time, I thought I couldn't have a full-time role in the United States because Mexican-Americans weren't allowed to work full-time because in my community, people were getting laid off all the time. And so once you get to this point of being in a position in corporate America and being able to travel the world and you know, break bread with people who are generations after generations of wealth in this country. Like there, there mm. is not even an inkling of understanding of experiences and it's not their fault, right? So it's even okay. just the acknowledgement of that. It changes what it takes to actually have courage to have these conversations at that level. Because I tell these people all the time, it is so much harder to be poor in this country than to be educated. Mm. And once I talk to that, it's like, it's, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing with Inspirame, because the mission there is to help end generational poverty through educational attainment. Because once we do that, then you know you're improving livelihoods. And it's not just the individual, it's their families as well. Latinos, we're so connected, we're units, right? It's not, we come in a package. We really do. And I, you know, it's just so interesting because there, there were many moments for me when I was in college where I was getting all these opportunities, even now, right? Like, from college to now, I feel like that this part of the first generation identity and where it really comes full throttle. And you start to realize you have all these open doors and opportunities. And I would often like ask myself, like, why me? Like, why couldn't my brothers or sisters do this? And there's this like guilt, like overriding guilt oh sometimes, right? Like, and you're just I like, <laughs> you're like, why? Like, tell me about that guilt. And when you felt it, Every day, let's say <laughs> there's the mom guilt, there's the, the, the wife guilt, there's the daughter guilt, there's the sibling guilt, there's the community guilt. Like it comes mm-hmm. in so many forms. I tell a lot of people that I work with that I'm the type of person that loves to share. I like to share my story. I like to share my food. I like to share resources. And it, I know it all ties back to guilt. It's like, why me? Oof. And then there's the opposite of that of like, you're so lucky. You're so lucky everything good happens to you. And you're so lucky this. And I'm like, mm, no, but I've been the one that's been like working really hard, right? Because it's not mm. easy. It's not easy being consistent. It's not easy having to be the only in a corporate setting. It's not easy being the first in many cases. It's not easy in any yeah. stretch of the imagination. And so I think that's the responsibility that we owe to each other as well as just being honest with each other. And so I think that's why these podcasts are so powerful because we get to tell our stories and say, yes, there's guilt, but yeah, you know what? We also have earned it and we deserve it. Maria, how do you handle or how have you handled this mix of like guilt and pressure? Because I feel like sometimes they come intertwined and I feel Mm -hmm. like it often comes when you're Maybe when you're, I mean, younger and navigating these spaces for the first time, but maybe you always kind of have it and you, you did say you had the guilt, but do you feel the pressure sometimes? Like, talk to me how you've been able to manage that. I do feel the pressure and the management comes through the support system and honesty, right? My husband yeah. of 25 years, he's an amazing partner and dad and we can be real with each other like come on you're gonna go travel again this week like okay great i'm gonna be single dad i'm like yeah but you're gonna have a fully stocked fridge you're gonna be driving a nice car and you're gonna have a good old time and when i come back we'll do something fun 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's having those conversations and being honest about it. Porque si no, I'll go crazy. There's just so much that, you know, is going on. I mean, t- mm-hmm. today, for instance, like I said, when we started our podcast, like I am so grateful that my brother organized a baseball game for him and my two brothers and my two boys. Mm-hmm. They're all on their way to San Francisco. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad. Because then I get the evening off with my daughter. I'm like, we could do whatever we want. Yeah. But that's how you get to release those pressures, right? Like I know I have so much work. I know that on Monday mm-hmm. I need to get on a plane to be away for the next seven days for strategic offsite. I know all that is coming, but how do I create these small moments to release? And then find whatever works for me at the moment, right? I could tell you the last couple of weeks, meditation has been something that's been like, ooh, exciting and new. And, you know, I was raised Catholic. And so doing the rosary from time to time brings me that relief. Calling a Thea or, or, you know, talking to my dad, like just whatever it is to release that valve because it does, it, it gets to be a lot, but it's not impossible. That's the most important thing. It's not impossible. Oh my God. You know, I really appreciate you sharing the small moments of like calling a Thea or, you know, like doing something that it feels almost so small and mundane, but it means so much. Like, Yes. And in all those cases that you're connecting to yourself or to someone, like the power of connection, right? Yes. Of just either I'm meditating and I'm like doing me or I'm connecting with family, I'm connecting with community. Like, I think those, I really appreciate you saying that because I know everyone hits that moment where I feel like we have to be constantly productive. Like I know sometimes just had a call this morning about like, do you feel like you're not being productive today? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, why can't we just rest sometimes? Like, you know, exactly. And you know, the power of rest, the power of connection, the power of it being both. Like sometimes connection is a part of resting. Like Mm -hmm. I know people would make fun of me. This is just what works with me. But my version of relaxing is like, let me go have dinner with my friends and a drink and good food. And like, yes, a lot. So I'm like, yeah, I get energy through people. And I know that about myself. Some people get energy by like, meditation and other I'm like I love good conversation this for me is like a form of rest (laughs) yes I'm laughing because last Friday my son my youngest son is on a baseball team and it's the first year that he's doing sports he's 13 but it's the first year because I've been so focused on dance my boys dance by they've been doing it for about 10 years now so I've been that dance mom of baile 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 and he said mom I really want to do baseball and my husband actually signed him up because I didn't I've been traveling, so I wasn't around to sign him up. But I got the email about you have to volunteer three hours each season <laughs> or pay $50, right? And my daughter's like, just pay the $50. And I'm like, no, it goes against who I am as a person. Like, give me yeah. tres horas to spend time so I can actually see who's spending time with my son, who's on their teams. Because if I don't, if I don't do this, I know I'm not going to make the time. And it's so important for my son and for just the mm-hmm. community. So last Friday at this time, I actually was a responsible for the shack snack bar from five to eight. <laughs> and I dragged my daughter with me and she's like, I cannot believe that you've dragged me to the shack bar. And I'm like, we're going to volunteer and we're going to make this fun. The people that come to this shack are used to buying a bag of chips. And so many of those folks are actually Latinos and they're always struggling to place an order. And this time we're going to serve them in Spanish. The way their faces changed, they, I think they went back three or four times to buy a chicle, yeah. to, buy, to buy some papitas, <laughs> to buy a soda. And it was exactly what you mm. said. The excitement and the energy was the storytelling. I mean, oh, one woman God. came up to me and said, 
I have so many memories here. My husband built this shack and I helped him nail in the first nail. And he said, that's amazing. So I completely agree. I mean, it's, I think it's a language that can really feed our soul and really help us appreciate the rest that is needed. But you know what that is? It's more, it's deeper than sharing a language with someone and being able to understand and like seeing them represented. It's like, there's this quote that someone said, Christopher Rivas on the podcast, he said, shared bodies of culture share a language. Like there's Mm. this unspoken language between la cultura and there's, there's just something and energy about it, right? Like yesterday I was helping my parents buy a car. And this, you know, I'm trying to translate. I'm being like (laughs) the translator, forever Mm -hmm. translator. Um, And they were all really, really nice. And then a Latina walks in and my mom's like, oh, my God, yo te conozco. Because they had met somewhere else. And like, she was like, oh, my God, like, what are the chances that we're seeing each other again? And like, she ended up helping us the whole time. And just being able to laugh. And like the the way we were cracking jokes the whole time, I felt like we were just having coffee with like a family member, but she was helping us like buy this car. And I just, I walked away feeling so energized. And I told my parents, I'm like, this is the beauty of just, yeah, like this is the beauty of seeing a boss Latina. Like I'll handle this. Like, don't you worry. And she was a top one there. Like she was the one, she was the boss, the manager. Like I was so, uh, so like in awe of her. But at the same time, it was just the way that she did business with my parents, like smiling, laughing, you want water, you want this, and then telling them these are the numbers. And I'm like, yeah, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, mm, that's what it. it's all about. And that's what people see in corporate. I remember when I saw the first Latina in corporate that I was like, I want to be just like her. <laughs> <laughs> because they were so, they weren't, this is the funny part is that I feel like, again, talking about authenticity, like she wasn't, I'm Latina, like everyone pay attention to me. Like it was such a quiet confidence that came with her, like just who she was. And it was, I don't know, there was something about her aura. It was like, she was so true to who she was, Mm -hmm. whoever that was right at the time. And I remember I was always in my head about being too Latina or too this or too that, that I would just stay in my head and not be in the present mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. And just seeing the power of like, girl, just be you. Be it's in this meeting you. and know that you you are here. You have a seat at the table. You mm-hmm. use, use your voice, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's so much power in that, but it's seeing those women and those people in your life that almost again, validate you like your professor. Like they validate that voice and being spoken and it's just power of and I I encourage everyone that's on this call like or on listening to the podcast to validate someone because there's nothing better than hearing those words of like thank you for wearing those earrings thank you for Uh speaking up continue doing this like keep inspiring like there's so much power in that there is so much power And, and whatever you put out it comes right back tenfold Like I am a believer in that. And, you know, ever since, like I mentioned, my mom's passing two years ago, because of the gift she gave me of, you know, believing the power of love, because that's what it really was, like believing in the power of love and supporting and advocating for yourself and for others, that I, it's just what I do every single day. And Mm -hmm. it's a quick story on that one. Last week, I was um, at a country fair here where I live in the Sacramento area. And this country fair is small. 
I can tell you that there are a lot of Trump supporters that live in the community. And so I do my part to participate because there's a lot of rancheros that live here and, and they're not given the same amount of attention or voice. And so I make it a point to, you know, to participate and to ensure that our comunidad know that they also belong in this neighborhood, right? And they have a lot to offer to the community. And so after about six hours of the, of the fair in the morning, we stopped by the little local pub and I sat, I walked in and there was a, a table in the center and shaded area before walking into the actual bar. And there was about six of us. because so it was me and my husband and my dad and my three brothers. And I told them, you guys go in, order a drink. I'm going to wait here and hold the table. Because, you know, we're Latinos. We grew up in the hood. We know that table is going to be gone. Like, if we don't go in that party. (laughs) (laughs) The table's not going to be there anymore. So I'm I'm always thinking, like, in that mode. Because it's the same game played in corporate America. It's just different lingo with different characters, right? So, So I'm sitting there. And then these two women, older women probably in their 70s, come out with their Bloody Marys. You could tell they were super excited to like indulge in their drinks. And when they came out, I could see their excitement turn into disappointment because there were no other tables available in the shade because I took the last table. And mm. so for a quick instant, I thought, oh, it is like, oh, I should really go on this table. But then I thought in my head, no, it's my dad's birthday. This is a special moment for him. I got the table, like, I, I can't, like, because that's another thing that we can be really guilty of, that we're constantly doing for others, and we don't do for ourselves. And in that moment, I thought, okay, I'm doing the right thing. And as I said that, I look over, and the two gentlemen that were taking a cigar break get up and walk away from a table in the corner in the shade. So I got up really quickly, and I went towards the two women, because they had already forgotten about the table. Like, they, ya como que estaban vencidas. They're like, oh, well, I yeah. don't have the table. So they were walking into the sun and just looking at what table am I have to grab in the sun. So I walk over and I said, excuse me, ladies, there's a table in the corner in the shade that has your name on it. I'm sure you would much enjoy that table than this one. Yeah. And the ladies looked at me and with a big old smile, I said, oh, dear, thank you so much. Y apenas, it could barely walk. So I quickly ran across the room and put my hand on the table to hold it for them. Because I thought if someone comes in, you know, to grab the table... So they yeah. get there and they said, that's so sweet of you. Thank you so much for calling us about this table. I said, oh, no problem. I could tell that you were planning for a great afternoon and uh, I hope you would have a good time. That's all I said. Yeah. And I went back to my table. By then, my dad and my brothers and my husband had got back with our dreams and we're talking and laughing and whatnot. I didn't even think about the interaction. Before yeah. I knew it, I was exchanging some words with my dad. Una de las señoras comes over with a $20 bill and puts it on the table in front of me and says, here you go, young lady, please buy two drinks on me. I hope you have an amazing day because you help me enjoy my afternoon. Have a great one. Oh my God. That is so nice. And the reason why I share this story is because it's just an inkling of what you just said. Like those things you do for others, it may not even be in that moment, but it will be years from now or a lifetime from now. But I do believe que todo cuenta. Oh, I love that story and a gift from your mom to say there's power in love. And I think that's one question I get often on the podcast, people who interview me outside are people who are just curious about it. They're like, you know, well, what's one thing that unites all the Latinos? And I'm like, oh, it has to be the hospitality. It has to be just who we are in our essence. Like we are 
these nurturers and we are just about Mm -hmm. community and about love. And I, you know, it's funny because (laughs) one of my favorite stories is my nephew, because I am, I love my nephews. I have 21. It's a lot of them. Oh, wow. But I'm the tia that's like, I love you. And I'm kissing them, hugging them. And I remember my nephew, he was four years old. He was like, why are you always hugging and kissing me? (laughs) And I'm like, because you know what? I love you. And this is just how Tia shows love. And now he's, oh my God, he's about to turn 12. And he always gives me the biggest hug. And I'm just Mm. like, I hope that he passes this on to his kids, to his like cousin, like the amount of just love that there that exists in our community and how we exude it and show it in different ways. It may come out in ways that we don't like, but it comes out in all the different ways. And I think that's the one thing that I say unites all of us, just the essence, una esencia Latina, you know? Yeah, it's true. And y es único. It's único. Like I said, I was in Mexico two weeks ago and we were doing a round about, there was 20 of us in the room. And I literally closed my eyes and just heard them speak. And one of the ladies says, estás bien, Maria? And I go, no, I'm perfectly fine. I'm just hearing who we are. Because when I closed my eyes, all of what was spoken, for a quick moment, I realized this is what the corporate America folks in America feel when they hear me talk. Because you don't get that opportunity to kind of see yourself through others. And that essence of Latino energy, it's so real. It's It's always about familia. It's always about community. It's always about helping others. It's about, you know, la lucha, doing things, and it's it's magical. You know, it reminds me of being in Brazil as well. I just came back a few months ago, and we coordinated a ride to the hotel with, with a driver from the hotel. And so he picked us up, and he starts speaking Spanish. And I'm like, oh, you speak Spanish? Because I was like, oh, I don't know Portuguese, but I'm going to try, Jeez. you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> but he starts speaking to me in Spanish and starts telling us about how he used to live in Argentina. He fell in love and he went over there and like, he just starts talking about how he knows Spanish and he ended up becoming Maria, our best friend on the trip. He took us everywhere. Mm-hmm. He said, whatever you need, call me. And we didn't get any other driver. We gave him all of the heads up. Like we want to do this and that. And he's like, actually do this and that. It's way better. It's less touristy. It's like really like where the locals hang out. And we ended yep. up having a whole week of just beautiful, unique experiences that only a local could give us. And he oh my took gosh. care of us. You're- and being two girls <laughs> in Brazil and we don't know anyone, yes, we don't know the language, like it was beautiful to have. We used to, we were joking. We were like, it's como nuestro papá. <laughs> that no. would take us everywhere. You know what? I'm reflecting really quickly on a story. God, we can be here hours talking about stories, but to talk yeah. about corporate America. There was a young emerging Latino leadership program that I went through. This was, oh gosh, at least 18 years ago. And Dr. Juana Borbas was the instructor in this session. And she talked about how our Latinidad was our superpower. And exactly what you just called out. He goes, muchachos, don't forget that all the people that are here, that are you know with us when we travel, when we're drivers, somos Latinos. Let's connect with one another because we can get the secrets, the insights. We can get the best service because we treat them with respect. Y los otros don't see them, don't respect them, don't value mm-hmm. them. So don't lose sight in that power. And it's so true to this day. I love traveling. I love going to events because it's always, muchas gracias, como estas? You know, how can I help? And whatever it may be. Oh, yeah. And it just changes the experience. You, you just talked about it. Oh my God, it does. Like, I feel like I love traveling because I'm always like, okay, who am I going to meet? <laughs> 
who will I connect with? And I, every single time I travel, whether it's New York or Brazil, I find someone that just is like a piece of home and a piece of community. Ex- and exactly. that is the pow- that is our superpower. And I love that you are flexing that superpower in corporate America. I want to ask you one quick question before we wrap up. How have you seen corporate America change when it comes to just you and how you show up? And what do you hope to give to those who are entering corporate America? Okay. You're going to have to repeat the question. I'm sorry, because it got a little bit distorted and I couldn't hear it well. So please oh, no. oh no. <laughs> yes. I'm curious because you've been in the industry for a long time. How has corporate America changed in terms of how you show up and what do you hope, what are some tips to give to future generations that are entering into corporate America? Yeah. I think that they change in a sense that you can no longer unsee what's been happening, you know, across corporate America with the real conversations around the racial inequities. So I think from that perspective, that's flashed uh, a flashlight, if I would say, across the topic. Now, is it being come easier to resolve them? No. But I think for as much of what's changed in corporate America, it's making sure that you can control how much you change as a person. So you're not mm-hmm. giving away who you are to try to fit in. Because I can tell you the one biggest differentiator for me when I talk to people that have been on the journey since when I've been on the journey is some folks have lost their way and who they are Mm -hmm. and how they show up and really having those connections, even those stories with their own children and whatnot. And so for the Latinos and the Latinas that are listening to this podcast, don't lose the essence of who you are and who make what makes you who you are. And inside Mm -hmm. of corporate America, know that there is mechanisms to hold them accountable, but there's also mechanisms for how you ensure that you don't let that hang you up so much that you can't learn from being in the environment. Because that's mm-hmm. another thing that I've seen a lot, that there'll be some folks that get so angry and so hung up in the inequities that they lose out on the opportunity to lean in and learn a little bit to also be able to help educate others, which again, it shouldn't be our responsibility. But if we have an opportunity to do that and to really form allies with folks, that's where we have the opportunity to start to change the narrative. And, and I, I've yeah. worked with folks for long enough that I know that is a a real desire. They just in many cases don't know how to do it. And are there any tips on how to do it? Yeah. Like I said, show up, you know, as who you are, know your story. And if you don't know your story, it's okay. Find out, talk to those in your family who do know your story. So you can start to piece that together and don't be shy about telling your story as much of it or as little of it as you like, but just know that the more that you know as to who you are and where you come from, the further you will go ahead. The need is there. They need us, every one of us, every one of us. And especially in the times we are right now, it is freaking fantastic to be Latino or Latina. So don't be shy about it. When did, oh, first of all, when did that happen? I feel like it came out of nowhere where like people started to appreciate us. And I was like, yes, I love this energy. Where did that come from? Maybe it doesn't matter. Tajin entered the market and and Chamoy entered the market. And Takis. I'm telling you, going back to the snack bar, the number of bags of Takis I was selling to little hueritos. I I had to ask, Uh, Takis, yes, I want the double hot. I'm like, okay. It is so funny. I I remember starting this in 2020 thinking, I hope people are like outside of the community can listen and like love this content as well. 
And I feel like that was the beginning of when I started to see like Latinas, Latinos, Latinidad just popping up like Bad Bunny. Everyone mm-hmm. started knowing him. And uh-huh. like, you know, like it was just like, it happened so fast. And I'm like, where did this happen and start? Because it's yes. beautiful. It's beautiful. Yes. But I think yes. it starts with people like you, Maria, in corporate, people in the entertainment industry and in podcasting in all spaces and industries just showing up and knowing their story and telling their story. And that's the one thing that I've seen is more Latinos owning their story and talking about it so openly. So that's why this platform exists. And that's why we're here. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, oh God. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. We could really sit here for hours and talk, but no, we could. Thank you for just being you, Maria, and for sharing these, almost these like beautiful nuggets of of just like advice on how to navigate these certain spaces that are so hard but like you said they need us and they need all of us like a reminder like they need you and all your latinidad listen i say growing up in the hood taught me resourcefulness being latina taught me how to be creative (laughs) agile flexible creative failing fast and learning from it and moving on like these are very real skills that are necessary oh yes (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent. I remember I had a little budget for an event and they're like, I know it's not a lot. And I was like, listen, my family did not have a penny to their name. And yet we threw the best parties. Okay. So I can make something amazing happen (laughs) with this budget. That's like thousands of dollars. So don't you worry about it. So it's just funny that our, what we think like can be like a setback or something that we don't have can be our greatest strength. And I remember someone quickly, I remember someone telling me one time, like, oh, that is like, I love that you came from nothing and like are making something of yourself. And I'm like, you know, I understand what you're trying to say, but I won't say that I came from nothing. Monetary, maybe. But you know, I came from a culture that taught me so much more than what people think. They think we're just poor and like dance all day and have parties. No, like I I was learning even how to read people. Being the youngest of seven, let me tell you, you know, and the thing about Latinos, the thing about Latinos is that we don't share a lot. Like we don't have a lot of vulnerable conversations. So you almost learn how to read people without them saying anything at all. Right. (laughs) I'm like, I already know my mom's not happy about that. She won't say it, but I know she's not happy. Exactly. My daughter, who's 20, would say, oh, the minute you give me the silent treatment, yes, sick, yes, sick, yes. And I'm like, yeah. yeah like, I, <laughs> But in corporate, it's the same, right? Like you can see in, yes. their, in their gestures and their facial expressions. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what they're thinking or mm-hmm. I know exactly what they're feeling. Like it's just, it's a superpower. And it's a superpower. And I'll say this very quickly, Tamien. One of the biggest superpowers I ever recognized that I had by someone who was first gen in corporate America that told me, you know what our superpower is as a first gen is we are the best at mimicking people and situations. And I remember thinking, you're so freaking right. Like just watching, like, how do you grab a cup? How do you, you know, take a sip? How do you take a seat? Like, I remember those initial years, like just always like watching. And it's so true. It goes back to, again, we can read rooms, we can read people and we can mimic because we're not going to, we're going to fake it till we make it. (laughs) That part. And to your point, they need all of us. There's room for all of us to succeed. I think there's so much of a scarcity mindset sometimes, especially in corporate. And I've seen it happen. I've experienced it where there's people in our own community who 
shut down, you know, like opportunities yes. because it's like, it's only one of, like, I just made it here. Like, I want to make it harder for you too. Yeah. I don't want to bring him up, but George Lopez, he said a similar thing, right? About not being space for more. Mm-hmm. I think like, to your point there, they need us, but they need all of us. And together all we can do so much. We can change the game. We can change so much in corporate America if we just allow it to be, everyone gets a piece of the cake. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And who better than us Latinos? Because by helping one, we actually help many. That's just what we do. Well, let's wrap up this beautiful conversation with the Brindis, even though I want a part two already because I'm like, there's so much we could talk Anytime. about. Anytime. We could take this to any which way you want. Uh, so much to talk about, but I want to do a quick Brindis and I want to give you the space, Maria. What do you want to cheers to and what do you want to manifest para nuestra comunidad latina? I want to manifest the importancia of coming together and realizing that there's space for every one of us. And I'm the person that likes to meet people where they are. And I hope to meet as many people through our conversation today. Salud. Cheers. Gracias. I'm like, I need to drink before I get bad luck. And Maria, how can people connect? Right, right. How can people connect (laughs) with you? I forgot to ask you before because I was just like, ugh. Oh, it's I want okay. her to manifest so, all the good, but how can people <laughs> connect with you, reach out to you and just learn from you? They can follow us on our Deco Guide account on Instagram, which is Deco Guide underscore or on TikTok at DecoGuide.com. It is my husband's face on there, but it is our brains together. And we're looking to <laughs> democratize higher education. And so you'll hear things from me. You'll hear a lot of wisdoms from him and they can find me on LinkedIn. I look forward to connecting with as many people and go from there. Thank you, Maria. I appreciate you. And thank you for being a community innovator. Education is liberation at the end of the day and economic opportunity, right? So thank you. Y'all can find Maria on LinkedIn, Maria Medrano, and on Instagram at techoguide underscore. You can check out the show notes for those links. I'll see y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme. For all Hello Latino updates, follow Hello Latino Podcast on Instagram and find me on LinkedIn. There's more information on my website, odalisjasmine.com. Y pues con mucho amor, también Andreña.